well, it's fun. Also, I'm sure Tom, have you listened to? Because when they did the uh, the extended release of, well, I guess I don't know what Adam, maybe the 30th anniversary release, they have yeah, all the yeah. uh, rehearsal recordings too, which is oh, I haven't mm-hmm. heard those. They're inter- yeah, they're they're, they're interesting. They're good. They're really raw, you know. But well, it's them called the vanilla tapes. Yeah, right. They're called the, the vanilla tapes, Robin. Exactly. And uh, some of them are pretty close, and some of them are like, holy shit, they yeah, went from yeah, this yeah. to this. They really, <laughs> yeah, they really uh, refined some of them. It's like wow, they they refined it a lot to make it into a song. Yeah. Well, anyway, welcome everyone to another episode of That Record Got Me High. That is Barry Stock. And that is Rob Elba. And Barry, this is a very special episode. Why? I agree. Because uh, patron, we, we have a patron. And, patron. And, and we love all our patrons, right, Barry? We, we have do. a lot of patrons now, and we really appreciate them. Everybody, we love each yes. and every one. And you know, like when you have kids, it's you, you can't say you have a favorite. You don't say you yeah. have a favorite yeah, kid. But one one brings home the bacon. Exactly. But if you but if we were to if you were to hold a gun to our head, you would need say, a gun. I'm just going to say you would need a gun. Yeah, exactly. Of course, it is our guest tonight, <laughs> Mr. Tom Laurie. Welcome again to the show, Tom. Thanks, guys. It's great to be here. <laughs> and Tom is Tom. Also, I mean. He also picks great records he to also, talk about, and, and he also brings the goods. Yeah, as, as picks great from, records. Uh, one us of these days, alcohol. I got to pick one that you guys absolutely hate. Um, uh, but, well, you don't have to go out of your way. Don't you. go out of your way to do it, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if it happens, it happens. Um, so, yeah, maybe I'll be the guy that picks the police and just watch you know, how that implodes I, on I me. Think, I would love to do a police. I have no I, problem I, with the police. I, I, love I the wouldn't police. really have a problem doing Barry, a police record. Yeah, because just, it's it's really the it's you know it's the one member that. Deserves know, abuse, but Sting, yeah. Um, all right, so yeah, so just real quickly, if if you want to become a patron, maybe not our favorite patron, but a patron you like could. Tom Lawrence, you could always where, where you do could they always go, visit, take a shot at the title. Um, <laughs> you swing at the king, don't miss. Um, <laughs> they go to patreon.com forward slash trgmh, and for as little as one dollar a month, you can support our efforts here on That Record Got Me High yes, podcast. We really appreciate it, and one day maybe you'll be in the upper pantheon like Mr. Tom Larry. Mm. Who, what did you bring? Yes, yeah, so you brought, you brought in the, the past, you brought great, you, you brought the uh, second REM album, Reckoning, uh, yeah. Reckoning, which is a great album, and the last one we did was Talking Heads Remain in Light, which was an awesome That's right. episode. Yeah. But what did you bring? You brought something very, the that one. we're very very excited El- about. You brought El Senor. This, I think so, yeah. Yeah, this is the only band that matters, and they didn't <laughs> call themselves that, but CBS did, The right. Clash. Okay. And this is the pinnacle of political punk and rock pop, London yep. Calling. Yeah, London man. London Calling. And I'm going to say, I, I already said it in a Facebook post, I, for me, this is in the running for the greatest rock album that's that, that there is. I don't... Oh yeah! If I had to pick one record, the case can be made. If I had to pick one record, said okay, you get you get one record for the rest of your life, rock record, right? It would be this. I know. This is is that good to me too. I'm right there with you. I can't. uh, We figured. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll gush on this album. The uh, the passion of Joe, the musicality, depth of Mick, the versatility of Topper, the style of Paul, all hit. All cylinders on this one. Yes, yeah. exactly. That's a great way to put it because, yeah, at, at the end of the day, they were a band. They were a great band with great uh, songwriters and, and musicians, really, yeah. which is ironic because they started as a punk, basically, the whole, the yeah, whole punk sure. thing. And especially they embraced it. Was that it, it isn't always about you. There's some, I forget, it's in some documentary, maybe The Filth and the Fury or something, where Mick Jones is saying, it's not always about playing the the right fucking chord or something, right, and he's right. like a young Mick Jones saying that. But yeah. uh, 
uh, eventually they did learn to play. Yeah, about by this time they are learning to. They have learned to play the correct chords. And they've they've put their ten thousand hours in. They have toured extensively, and they've learned a lot from the first album, the second album, and and yeah. But this one, this is just kind of like, you know, this is one of those records that um, you everything, everything, everything just hit at exactly the right time. It was at the right time. The right people, the yeah. right everything, and they also explored so many different genres, were, and they were all over the place. And, and they're good at it. It's oh, not that's the right. that's yeah, the yeah, thing. Yeah. You know, not everybody can do a, a reggae tune, or not everybody can do exactly. a, 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 you know a pop sort of a pop song in this way, and they do, and they pull it off. And I think some of it has to be put on um, their choice of producer. Um, yeah, Guy Stevens. Yeah, who produced the first couple of uh, Mott the Hoople records and was quite a character. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, so Guy goes all the way back to the 60s. I'll tell you a little bit about Guy. Um, he was a guy that um, he met Keith Reed at a party and mm-hmm. said, uh, hey, that girl over there looks kind of like she's turning a whiter shade of pale. <laughs> and so Keith and goes and writes that and gives it to Guy to bring to whose friend, but Rob's friend, Chris Blackwell. Ah. And <laughs> this is late 60s. And Chris passes on it. Oh, He says, ah, this is not going to go anywhere. See? He, just, he, he passed on me and he passed on that. There you go. <laughs> That's the connection I'm making, Rob. Uh, he, was, he was a shitty judge of talent. Thank you. <laughs> But but guy was a trainer on at least two occasions. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, at least two. Guy was a train wreck, and no one wanted him. But yep, uh, Mick and those guys had fired. You know, they'd fired Bernie Rhodes, right? And they said, like, who can we bring in? They can pump it up, and they used just the right amount of guy because a little right. too much of that, you'll yeah. see. He would have totally screwed it up a little bit like, you know, how Sandy Perlman got a little too much in yeah. to give him enough rope. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, right, right. Which right. is a very good album. It is. But it is. A, a little too much of it, you know? Yeah. Um, it's the rough edges are, are are sheared off a little too much on that record. So it's mm-hmm. it's just it's the clash, but it's the clash it's kind a, of with the kind of like guardrails. A little on. bit too produced. Yeah, yeah a little yeah, too yeah, produced. Yeah. And that's the one of the genius uh, the genius of this record is that it sounds great, but it also sounds yes. so like all over the place and raw, but like perfect. It's like perfect. It's, that's the that's the that's the, the the combo. It is. So it's the ripeness. So guy would come in and pitch a fit and do crazy shit, like throw chairs around. And um, after a while, um, Johnny Green, who's the kind of hidden hero of this right, story, right. Um, kind of told, hey, guy, uh, why don't we go down uh, to the pub for a pint? Yeah. <laughs> and then Mick and Bill Price, the engineer, would finish the song. Yep. And it sounded great. But he brought energy. He pumped it up. You know, if you hear the vanilla tapes, it's pretty good. But then when Guy gets into it, he kicks it up a notch. Yeah. And, and you guys are right. That's what makes it so special. And. You know, if they kept Guy the whole time, he would have kind of fucked it up. Right. Yep. But <laughs> right, right. All right. So this came out uh, 1979. Late, in, in late, the UK, late 79. Yeah. But here in the United States, it was actually January 1980. And I got it. Were you so, um, Tom, were you already a Clash fan? And did, did you get this right away? Or did you have, because uh, I had already gotten the first and second record. So I got this one right when it came out. This was, now, you got to remember where I grew up, which is not unlike uh, what Barry had to do. And I was listening to what I call Radio Free Tampa. It was right. WMNF. 
Right. And I turn on the radio and I heard Train in Vain, yeah. which was the first Clash song I had. God damn, that's great music. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was just switching over from album-oriented rock as a kid. I'm 15 years old to, you know, more, more progressive stuff. A little bit of Elvis Costello, you know, some um, the Talking Heads, all that sort of stuff. And I'm like, I got to go find this album. So I go down to Tampa to get it, and like I can't find the song anywhere. You yeah. know, it's not on the album, right? Because it's so, not on the credits for some. Right, it's not on the credits. They they added it on at the last minute. Right. Um, so I like, oh shit! I'll buy, I buy the London Calling anyway. So I bought it, and I'll be damned if I'm like listening to side four in an actual record, and there's an extra track on there. <laughs> yeah, and it's actually scratched on the the runout part. Right, right. Um, <laughs> I'd like, be damned. There I it is. I had that too. Do, do you still have that? Do you still have the record? No, um, you know, I know I, I don't when I either. DJ'd, I'd loaned it to somebody, and you know how that goes. I never yeah, got it back. So. See you later. So, did you? Yeah. So, let me ask you that's a lot for a 15 year old kid. That's a lot to absorb, a lot yeah. of music. Sure. So, did you get it all right away, or did you love it right away, or did it take a little while for it all to soak in? It took me a long time to soak it in. I loved the more punk stuff. You know, I'm 15, I'm an angry kid. So, you know, Death or Glory and Clamp Down and and Hateful, those songs I loved right off the bat. Right. The other ones I kind of like, ah, they're pretty good. They're a little weird. But the older (laughs) I got, the more I started liking more and more of the songs. I know, same. Yeah, same exactly exactly for me. I'm, I'm a little older. I was like... 17 I think I was 17 when I got this one yeah but even then still I was into uh, 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 punk bands I was into the earlier clash like I loved the, the first clash record I just loved and yeah this took me a little while I'm like I'm like wow this is really weird yeah. and really different right but yeah like like I said now when I was revisiting it which uh, like me and Barry said we didn't we didn't even need to listen to this because we know oh, uh-uh. no, I've heard this hundreds and hundreds of times so yeah. my, yeah, my pro- props yeah. to Joey May uh, Maya am I saying that right my Joey the Maya. first album, Maya. Right. Man, he kicked ass on that. Nah, and I love that don't, album. Don't, Joey's it. head is already big. Don't blow Joey's head. Right. End up in Compliments are not allowed by Rob, <laughs> yeah. so just to me, you know. <laughs> so my, Bring them down and on. My <laughs> London Calling story is I was playing in a uh, just a rock and roll, rock and roll band in uh, 10th grade in um, Edgewater High School, Orlando, Florida. And uh, we were hanging out. Uh, after practice and smoking some weed and the TV show Fridays came on and oh, yeah. uh, the guy, whatever that guy was in the leather jacket with the slick back hair comes out and goes, ladies and gentlemen, the clash. Oh, right. Yeah, he was the announcer, the announcer the on Fridays. Announcer, yeah. mm-hmm. And they came out and played London calling. And from the time the song stopped, started until the time the song ended i became a different person (laughs) like i look i I looked around me and i was like what the fuck am i doing and so and then they played um you know clamp down and they played they uh, played like four songs guns of brixton and they played train in vain yeah yeah they did so after seeing all that and the problem was i get get to the end of london calling and i I look around and the rest of the people I'm with go, man, that sucked. <laughs> and Barry's like, I have to get new friends. <laughs> and I did. I went out the next day to Winter Park Mall to Camelot Records in Winter Park Mall and I sheepishly bought London Calling and brought it home. And then that was the day I became a punk rocker, basically. Nice. Was uh, after seeing them on Fridays because they were just, it was just so amped up and so passionate and so 
the you know incredible. They literally were the only band that mattered at well, that, that point. Uh, that, yeah, <laughs> at to that me, particular for me, time for and sure. place. Yeah. And that, you know, it led to all kinds of other things. But that was the record. And I listened to this thing, you know, start to finish, just over and over and over again. Yep. And and yeah. And as I revisited, I realized songs that. Uh, Initially, I just thought, like you said, Tom, I thought, well, weird. I realized, oh, my God, I fucking love that song. Yeah. It's so great. And so there's, a, there's a few covers on here, too. So they do. Are great. Yeah. And they were always great at that. They were always great at pulling out. And, and they were, uh, yeah, they were big fans of just like. Um, Roots music in yes. general. You and, know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and the, what made this kind of the evolution of punk is they threw in reggae. They threw in ska. They threw in rock. They threw in jazz. Jazz, you right. Know, Rockabilly. They threw in rockabilly pop they threw in all of that stuff but like you were saying i think it was barry they mixed the right amount they didn't put you know it's not three rockabilly songs in a row yes it's that and then it's it switches around. i mean the, yeah the right. sequence perfectly yeah if you just listen to the irish horns and the sequencing it's like you know four songs in a row of irish horns would get to you but <laughs> yeah 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 but, they mix it like the first and the third or the fourth song on that side it's, right it's perfect but and and none of it gets cloying none of it feels inauthentic in any way you nope. could tell just because they love whatever they did it was because they, they loved were there's it. a genuine love for the music that they were playing yeah. and the people they were paying homage to and bro- and oh, just yeah. and just the brilliant songwriters of uh joe strummer and mick jones just yeah and, w- and one paul simonon tune oh, the, the which famous is yeah, yeah which is great yeah. one of my favorite yeah, and, uh, um, songs they would write them in batches, so they wouldn't do one song at a time. They'd do two or three, and then Joe would come in, and he was really cool about mixing. You know, this line on London Calling's great, the song. Uh, do- drop the third and fourth one. If you listen to the vanilla tapes versus what's now, I mean, Mick had a lot of editing, and you know, yeah, Joe yeah, was yeah. humble enough to let him do it. And right, right, right. That's why you get the great lyrics, not the okay lyrics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's true. Um, all right, so this is we got a lot of songs to get we through, do. and we're gonna get through. And there's no, there's nothing you could skip. I was looking to it, nah, and I said, you can't skip that. anything on Hell this no. one. It, it's not like Sandin. We're not doing Sandinista, right? There's <laughs> back to that argument. Uh, yeah, yeah, but it's uh, fine. Yeah, Sandinista. Which I love. Which the I problem, still love. The problem with Sandinista is that it follows London Calling. I guess, and yeah. and yeah, and they they said, how could we reach even further? How could we overreach? Right, and, and, they, they, did. and they did. But uh, you know, also Tom, I was thinking, if if fucking Joe Strummer hadn't, and and he admitted later that he was wrong, he shouldn't have fired Mick Jones, he shouldn't have got, if he hadn't have got those other two idiots and done <laughs> that last <laughs> shitty, oh, class, yeah, you right. could you could genuinely say the Clash never put out a bad record, right. Until that last you know, one, when because they all their records were re- are great. You're right. You're right. And some people, even me, might say that this doesn't even count as a Clash album. Right. Yeah, right, right. Because because it's, yeah. it's a Joe Strummer solo know, effort, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And he did. He regretted that for the he rest did. of his days. Right. Right. Um, Which is sad. Yeah. There's some. There's definitely some bittersweet shit about the the Clash. And then also, you know, as much as we build them up and everything, they weren't perfect. And they definitely. It, it's almost impossible for a band that seems that. Like uh, that, that woke. They didn't use the word woke then, but right. that, that. I mean, the one thing to me that always epitomized the fact that they were, no matter how much ideals they said they had, yeah. When they played one of the last shows they played all together was at the US Festival in 1983, right. and they played in front of a banner that said "The Clash are not for sale," <laughs> and they got paid a fucking half a million dollars right. for that gig. So the Clash kind of worked. Well, and, you know, and that's what happens. That's, that's what, what happens. You know? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. I, I put that down to one of the ends of the, the killing of the clash is three things, three or four things. The us festival I write down is one. Right. Firing, firing uh, Mick. Yeah. Topper losing Topper, and yeah. you know he yeah. was addicted heroin, to heroin. So. Yes. Junkie. And then, and then you know getting Bernie back involved and right. you know, just, just that, God, yes. Yeah, that was. I mean, Le- Jesus less, Christ. Lesson not bad learned. Bad decision after yeah. bad decision after bad. decision. Yeah. So I mean, every band has an arc, and if you just cut off that last one, you know, yeah, yeah, this yeah. would have been a perfect arc. All right, so let's get in. Let's start listening right. to this record. Let's get into the first one. One of uh, one of the great opening album tracks ever, oh, yeah. I would say. Oh, right? Yeah. Oh right. my God! Uh, let's listen to the title track, the first song, "London Calling." About the uh, uh, apocalypse that sounds like the apocalypse. Exactly. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah there's a couple of interesting things about about it musically is that there Joe and Mick are playing an E minor chord. It's just that 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 that. Right. But um, Paul Simon on the bass player goes and he plays a C underneath that, and the C underneath that changes the chord to a C major seventh chord which has a different feel ah, and that's okay, okay. what elevates it and where you, what, what makes it it gives it that darkness it absolutely it gives it the darkness it absolutely and the clash, it does. i don't think they had done many songs in with minors before this no they really had the first they, album if they no. did reggae songs it was probably a minor key but right, right. yeah this is a minor key song and then paul paul's bass line which you know i always wonder you know, the guy Steven say, try playing a C there or something because it's it is really an interesting choice. Yes, and he Paul, as simple as he was, and obviously he came about. I mean, he basically learned to play the bass to be in the Clash, sure. and but he still so many great. Uh, he he was just so great as, at. at at, at what he would do. He was an artist. His I mean, things, he was an artist. He really he, was. Yeah, yeah he was an artist. By then, he was at least competent by this album. Yeah, too. exactly. <laughs> yeah. But but even more than that, and I always thought, at the end of the day, Joe, uh, I mean, Paul is the coolest, was the coolest member of the class. He was. Because he, he was, was the most he, authentic character. He was yeah, who he yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and agree. he, from beginning to the end, was a punk rock bass player. I, I, I and, agree. And, you know, he also grew up in... Um, you know, in uh, in Brixton and Notting Hill, and it was a very large uh, um, Jamaican population there. And he's the one who brought a lot of not that oh, none of them. You know, they all went to Don Letts. He was a DJ, right? Uh, parties and listened to to reggae and learned a lot from Don Letts. But Paul was the guy that really pushed a lot of this in. You know, he really loved that stuff, and that's what he grew up with. <laughs> 
Yeah. Right. right. All right. So um, we could talk about the lyrics of London Calling. I yeah. mean, it's just l- l- you know, l- London's drowning, and I uh, I live by the river. So um, th- and, there and, you have it. And they're also uh, they're already self referencing like yeah. uh, don't look to us that whole thing London Calling now don't <laughs> yeah. look to us phony, phony media, media. Media. so because they're already feeling I think the the pressure at that point of carrying the the, the punk but rock there torch. was that there was that Broadway right. show. That he's responding to that Beatlemania right, right, Broadway right, right. show, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he he's you know pushing that he's using that as a as a prop to knock down like right. you know fuck that that's and he's that also just saying you know listen we're moving on from punk that's you right know, we, oh yeah, 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 yeah we're yeah, not yeah. going to paint ourselves in the corner with the three chords and we're moving on yeah right right and um, the end of the song ends with uh, him saying. Um, kind of the beginning of a new song which flows into the next one it's a guy mitchell singing the blues is with the, the you know you i never so, felt so much alike alike oh it's, it's, it's supposed to be singing the blues where that goes it's a 1956 oh i never knew song. that I, I never knew that and uh yeah joe read papers a lot and he'd take the uh, the taxi from chelsea to the wessex studio and uh maybe even um when we was doing the vanilla tapes and his his girlfriend Gabby said, "Listen, you're talking about doom and gloom so much. Every time you read these papers, why don't you write about it?" And there <laughs> right. you go. That's great. I would say one other thing though. There's a tagline you should add to your show that, that's in these lyrics. You know which one it is? What is that? And you know what they said? Well, some of it was true. Some of it was <laughs> true. <laughs> that's good. Also, you're right. <laughs> they're very, very knowing about world like what what goes on in the world yeah oh, like so yeah. there's the idealism <laughs> that, that they had a political idealism but as far as the, the 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 underpinnings of rock and roll and of society they you know he had a very a withering eye uh gaze upon that yep you're, you're right about that three mile island you yeah. know old shortages oh, yeah. wheat shortages oh. all that's in there so now yep. the uh, second one, we get into the cover. We were talking about they did some great covers. This is a song they used to warm up. You used to warm up a lot with, and it was the first track they recorded for this record. And it's the Vince Taylor, uh, originally by Vince Taylor and the Playboys. It's brand new Cadillac. Uh. Fucking I love it's, this song. Yeah, yeah, you know, and it, it's just the the subject matter. Um, woman, somebody you know comes up in a brand new Cadillac and says, you know, yeah, they yeah, say, yeah, fuck you. She, she ain't coming like, back to me. And that's right. And, and I also <laughs> and he changes the lyrics to balls to your daddy. Balls you know, that to yeah, your balls big to daddy. daddy. And I also love. Yeah, Joe was always good at even with his own lyrics. He'll throw in these asides, and I love at the end when he goes, Jesus. Christ, where did, did you get, get that, that Cadillac? Oh, no. I love it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, 
But two things about Vince Taylor, you know, he was like the first rock and roller for from England. And um, the guys worship him, especially Joe. Um, and they meet him later on. Many years later, they meet him on tour. And uh, they, they meet him after a show or something like that. And uh, Vince says, you know, come on over to my table. And he goes, let me tell you something. The, the Duke and Duchess of Windsor are trying to poison me with chocolate cake. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Yeah, so he was a little unhinged by then. Right, but um, so he, he wasn't. Himself out. He wasn't really hanging out with the Duke and Duchess. He was paranoid, yeah, he was crazy, mad. mad. Yeah. yeah, okay. Uh, and uh, also, when he was walking around, let's say uh, late sixties, walking around London, uh, David Bowie sees him and says, "You know, hey," uh, and kind of puts that away. And he used some of Vince Taylor's persona, walking around in a white uh, sequin cape ooh, for Ziggy Stardust. There you go. Uh, well, Didn't David was great at that. He was great at that. He was a magpie, yes. He was Very magpie. good. All right, so now we get a ballsy move by them right away. To make this, the next song, the third song on this record is amazing because it's weird and it's wonderful and it's hard to classify. Uh, but um, loosely tells the like a little film noir tale yeah. of an outlaw named uh, Jimmy Jazz on the run yeah. from the police and from others. Yes. Let's listen to Jimmy Jazz. Police walk in for Jimmy Jazz I said he ain't here but he sure went past Oh, you're looking for Jimmy Jazz Yeah, they said Strap to my Sagana for Jimmy Dread Cut off his gears and chop off his head Police come look Yeah, so Tom, so this is probably like one of those that didn't, at first you just thought, oh, that's kind of weird, you know, that's kind of different, but then, uh, you know, it, it's a grower, right? I probably react a little more harshly, like, what the fuck is oh, this? Really? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's it's only the third song in, and you're going, okay, all right. But now, I, I love this song. You yeah, know, of course. Exactly. It's a great uh, story. I mean, it doesn't turn out too well for Jimmy Jazz. No, it doesn't. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, and it's got a, I mean, every one of their songs has a little something in it that goes mm-hmm. back. Like, Sata Masagana is a, a Roots reggae album from yeah. the Abyssinians. Yeah, right. And See, I never knew yeah. what the that. fuck he was saying Yeah, this, is, this song has got Jamaica in it, in a way. It's not a reggae song because it's got a walking bass line but yeah. the feel of it is of something that might happen and remember they'd been to they had that uh, so 
terrifying experience of being in you know Kingston and being uh, discovering that um, their romantic ideals were somewhat different than those of the Jamaicans. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the, the Stones were there the week before handing out money, and they show up, and of course they're they still got, right. You know, they're broke. Money. They got nothing. They want to know yeah. who's got the weed, and they're like, hey, "Where's the do- where's your money?" Right? You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> not yet. Yeah, they had to leave on like a, you're a not fast Keith, you're not Keith Richards. So. <laughs> But this has, yeah, it has a late night jazzy. It does almost a Tin Pan Alley sort of yeah, sound. Yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. And, yeah the exactly. horn, and then the horns come in yeah, later in the beautiful. song, and then yeah. it's great. It's great. And and then so then it goes into the a really great song and a really great spot on portrayal of heroin, ironically, uh, as a helpless and hopeless addiction. And you know, in reading now, I didn't realize that Joe Strummer was actually uh, close with Sid Vicious. And that really, Sid, Sid's death and just the way Sid ended up really affected yeah. Joe. Yep. So that's probably one of the reasons why he was so uh, di- uh, disappointed with Topper when he ended up becoming a heroin addict. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm sure. Let's listen to a little bit of Hateful. But the song, it's so like it's so. It's got it that Bo- It's got a Bo. It's hit, 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 the Bo Diddley, Bo Diddley right. beat, man. They're not doing it with in- a call response. Yeah, it's oh, yeah. absolutely. Uh, oh yeah, I, I hear. And yeah, Sid died in February of that year. So it was so, very, it was very close by. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. Um, yeah, the call and response uh, where Joe's in, you know, call, Joe gives a lyric and then Mick comes in in the you know in your ear. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I know. And a, yeah, I, a very dark um, subject matter. Hate, and it, hateful. A, Song is called Hateful. And it's, you know, it's hateful. Uh, and now, speaking of Mick, now finally we get a, a, a Mick song. Sing, Michael, sing. Uh, <laughs> and, and he does. And uh, let's listen to a little bit of Rudy Can't Fail.
love the, I love the lyrics. I know that my life makes you nervous, but I tell you that I can't live in service. Like, like a the doctor, doctor who's born, born for, for a purpose. purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And that has a double meaning, the doctor one. Dr. Um, Alamontado was uh, a guy, a Jamaican singer that produced an album or a song called Born for a Purpose. Really? So they kind of throw in, ah, very they throw in two things there. Look yeah. at Tom but this is kind of like a, the deep knowledge. Yeah, man. Yeah, this is kind of like uh, he took the number 19 bus to uh, Mick did. Um, that's the bus that he took, you know, to, to get to um, the studio. And uh, I kind of imagine this is, you know, some old people saying, you know, why you, you know, they're all looking right. at Mick, you know, why don't you be a, you know, a waste all? Right. And right. he's kind of saying, you know, fuck off. I'm going to drink yeah. my special brew, <laughs> yeah. which is uh, Carlsberg special brew that's uh, very popular with the uh, Jamaicans. But these guys adapted it because it's like a really high alcohol thing and they were drinking in the morning too. So. Ooh. Um, yeah, well, but it's, uh, London, the whole, yeah, London thing. in 1979, I mean, you're talking about a place that was from New York in 1979. The big cities, mm-hmm. there was a tremendous amount of decay. There were no jobs. Everybody was on the dole. Right. And yeah. uh, it was rough, rough living. Um, and, yeah. Yeah. And, but, and again, the horns in this one. And also, Topper Heaton's drumming. I can't oh. say enough about him. He's so, he brings, and, and finally, I think they said, even Joe Sherman said that they finally realized how much he can do, like what he could yeah, do with this yeah. record. Like he's right. not just, you know, he had such a musical background. He was probably the most musical guy of, yes, of all the, the four members oh, of the class. I, I totally agree. They, right. they brought him a box of percussion stuff um, and he just opened it up and started using it all. And that was, it was a DIY way they did this album. You know, Vanilla Studios, it was just those guys. It wasn't any producer or anything when they did the the raw, right. you know, wow. the raw tapes. Yeah, and they just said, "Hey, everybody, go do whatever the hell you want." And that's why the creativity, you know, didn't have other. You know, they brought in Guy, but later on, yeah. And so right, right. Topper could do whatever the hell he wanted. And you're right. You know, you're only as good as your drummer, and Topper yeah. was yep. a, an <laughs> awesome fucking drummer. Uh, yeah, yeah, amazing. Um, all right, so that finishes off side one. We flip it over to side two, and we get the uh, strummer lyrics about about shit, very political about shit. I don't even understand it all. But I think listen. this is the greatest Clash song. It's such a, well, really? Wow. I think okay. this is it's it. A great no, song. I think that this is this, this encapsulates For everything. Joe, maybe the the greatest Joe song. Okay, because, all right, okay, okay yeah. <laughs> Spanish bombs. Yo, 
Okay, so Tom, I assume you must know what he's going on about in this song. What are you he's got, like so many songs, he's got two things going on here. He's talking about, yep. you know, uh, modern day, the well, modern day 1979, you got the Basque bombings where uh, the Brits go to, to vacation in, right. in Spain. Um, and then you go, you know, uh, backwards. The Spanish to, Civil War. Right, 1936 to 39 or somewhere right. in there, and yep. the, the beginning of fascism in Europe. That's, That's right. where it all started. It's where it started right there, and it and it lasted longer in Spain than anywhere else. It survived until Franco died, so he ruled that country. He was a fascist ruler, and he ruled Spain until, I don't know, when did Franco die? I mean, he died in the 70s? Uh, 75. Yeah, 75. So, yeah. Um, yeah. you think well, of like worked. World War II ending with Hitler and the death of fascism, not really. Um, Spain was ruled by a fascist until 1975. Wow. Uh, one little hint that I think is kind of cool is his former girlfriend, uh, you know, she went by Paul Olive when she played for the Slits. Right. Paloma um, was from Andalusia. And ah, I think he's got yeah. kind of some, you know, some sort of just a, at least a hint to her. Because it's an ex-girlfriend by now. Right, uh, right, right. were in that first line. Okay. Well, once you write the song you and you say that. the word... The way he says Andalusia, it's so yeah. perfect. You can't substitute it with something no, yeah, else. Yeah. <laughs> you have to leave it in there. And also, I didn't realize till just now, till uh, doing research on it, that he's not because I don't speak Spanish, but he barely spoke Spanish. And what he's saying there is just gibberish, basically. It's not even. It's it. It, it, it doesn't actually make sense. <laughs> There's actually a term for it called clash Spanish because they fuck up Spanish all over. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> okay. okay. But yeah. I was just assumed, just oh, look at you throwing out Spanish. But it's for the. I mean, they couldn't find it, somebody that spoke Spanish. The sound of it. The sound of it is perfect. The sound of it is perfect. Whatever he's saying yeah. is perfect for the feeling, and you know, if you know a little bit about history, you know, you know the period he's talking about about Hemingway and about this great battle where they were they were fighting the fascists, and then Germany came in and assisted the fascists in in in, in, in uh, uh, um, putting down the revolution, and um, it uh, you know then well, it leads thing. to World War Two. World War Two happens immediately thereafter. It's a good thing fascism. We don't have to worry about that anymore. Oh, it's, it's, we're so lucky. Um, all right, so now well, we're, it's not over yet. <laughs> I think Rob was. Uh, I was being a little sarcastic. Should I mention right, that? Yeah. So whatever, now we get today's another. News. Now we get one of the uh, another song on the record that I I didn't get at first, and I just thought, oh, well, that's weird. And I love this song now. Uh, it's just so weird and wonderful about the actor Montgomery Clift. That's right, <laughs> and not the only rock and roll song about Montgomery Cliff. Oh, right. I saw no, that, too. Are right. you going to say the same one I am? Yeah, R.E.M. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, there, all right. There I, can't I, be a I'm third. Like, <laughs> there might be. <laughs> all right, listen. There to might it. be. I don't know what it is. A little bit of the right profile. It's about, uh, okay, let's go. The right profile.
smashed at night Cut the applause and dim the light Molly's face is broken on a wheel Is he alive? Can he still feel? That's Montgomery Clift, honey. And yeah. uh, so this was an accident, I guess a car crash, uh, uh, where he was driving home from a party at uh, Elizabeth Taylor's house. He was drunk. Yeah, he was drunk pills, <laughs> yeah. drunk. Also, you know, he had the additional burden of being gay in uh, Hollywood and, uh, play, and playing straight characters. So there was always this weird dichotomy of, of Montgomery Clift playing these, you know, uh, characters. And it's... Um, he was. He looked odd before he had the accident, and then after the accident, his face was, you know, um, yeah, his face was mangled, and he still did. Uh, he still did roles after, but they would shoot him from the right. Once that's from the, the right, right profile, profile. only from the right side. <laughs> well, even though he didn't, he hadn't even finished uh, Rain Tree Country, and they they did that. Rob, they'll say, okay, we're gonna have to shoot. I don't know if it was left or right. But let's just say it's the, the left side. <laughs> I have to get right. you from the left side for the rest of the movie. And <laughs> that's um, crazy. And then you know he because of his car wreck, he got on to pain pills, and he was you know probably yeah. an alcoholic. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Sad story, but I love that. Joe was so great. That just taking these little, he probably read about him, whatever, and yeah. said, Oh, that's right. great. He read and a just, book or he read some a newspaper article, and you know, he read a book. Yeah, so Guy yeah. Stevens gave him a book who ironically kind of started going down the same path as Monty. <laughs> right. Oh, right. You know, but you know, Nebutal numbs it numbs all, it but all. I prefer alcohol. alcohol. Yeah, right. but um, one of the things I, I, I kind of find fascinating um, about that, uh, this whole thing is it's it's really about how. Hollywood just tossed him away. The second his face got med- messed oh, yeah. up, is like, sure. does, does he still feel? Yeah, <laughs> so right. They, well, right. He, he is was he alive? Does he still feel? Right. They, right. they only really, they don't really care about him. They, he's just a commodity no. that can be, yeah. Um, yeah. that can be, uh, and th- that leads, oddly enough, right into our next tune. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, come on. Yeah, exactly. Come on. <laughs> One last thing about that. Uh, they couldn't play this live too much because it had so many of the, you know, so much of the Irish horns in it. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Big time. Yeah. Right. So they, they very rarely played this live. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. It's, that's, it's a big part of this song. And yeah, without it, it just, it's going to be difficult to reproduce. All right, so now we get the uh, yeah. the excellent uh, Mick Jones again on lead vocals, but the lyrics I didn't realize this. The lyrics were actually written by Joe Strummer in this. Oh, one. didn't know that. But he, yeah. Uh, yeah, but Strummer yeah. said he wrote the lyrics imagining Jones's life growing up in a basement with his mother and grandmother. So uh, he sort of yeah. wrote it for Mick. But let's listen to a little bit of Lost in the Supermarket. Feeling. It's 
סופרמרקט, הקן עולם לשבת Yeah, so you could tell, and I guess you could tell, even though um, Strummer wrote it for Mick, he said when he says we had a hedge back home in, in the suburbs over with, that, that was Joe Strummer's hedge that because was jo- Mick right. didn't live in the suburbs. Right, Joe Strummer was, uh, grew um, up actually the son of a, son of a diplomat. A diplomat, yeah, and, was a little uh, more privileged, although he went to like, pri- they sent him off to private schools. And, they did, uh, yeah. But um, and, yeah, that made him kind of Lord of the Flies, though, when he did that. That's kind of, yes. you know, uh, so, yeah, they, I think at, you know, a young age, they sent him off to boarding school while they tra- still traveled, even well, his though da- his dad was a diplomat and uh, yeah, um, in the foreign service. Right. So Mick uh, sings the fuck out of this song, though. So great. And so because it's just so much feeling in it when he sings, uh, you know, hearing uh, I, I heard the people on the ceiling scream and fight was scarily. Uh, hearing that noise was my first ever feeling. Uh, that's how it's been all around me, and it's yeah. like you could just picture that, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's, and it's a, with, go ahead. Uh, he he lived with his grandmother. You were right. He yes. lived, you know, his and mother moved with away. His Jewish. I found out just tonight that there he was Jewish. Go. He was a member of my yes. tribe. That's yes, right. yes, yes, he did. Yeah, his, uh, awesome? his mother was a uh, Russian. I think a uh, Russian Jew. Russian Jew. Yes. Yeah. All right. And um, he lived with his grand most of the time. Those parents split up, and yeah. the only thing she well, the one he he mentions this a couple times. She's. His mom sent him Cream Magazine. <laughs> you know, that's oh, nice. kind of, kind of go. going uh, down the right path. There that's you good. go. Um, all right. Yeah. And then some, also some excellent uh, funky bass bass oh, playing yeah. from Simino. It's, a, it's, a, it's a cool pop song, really. Uh, yeah, I mean, it it's, so it's, do, you, um, do you guys hear a touch of disco in there? Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, they yeah. were disco fans. They liked disco. Yeah. They weren't disco haters. <laughs> right. And right. so for them, you know, to stick that in there is it was, you know, yeah. it was A-OK. Yeah. And then there's the underlying whole consumerism thing. You're not going to, you know. Yeah, lost in the supermarket. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can no longer shop happily. (laughs) Um, All right, so now we get this song. A very... uh, The most punk song on the record. And probably, and this is one I think The Clash played a lot. Uh, This was their, you know, this was a very big uh, uh, live song for them. And it's got that dramatic... descending uh, opening part. Yeah. That's just great. Uh, Listen to a little bit of Clamp Down. What is that? What's a clamp down? 
<laughs> well, like, it, it uh, goes back to uh, I think one of the guys saw a meter maid putting one of the boots on a car, <laughs> and that's where they got the turn. Okay. There you go. And they, they called this uh, song for fuck's sake when they were in the vanilla tapes, then, right? Or working in a waiting, but they have that intro, you know, that's all. It's kind of yeah. like you can barely hear it. And it's kind of this puppet dictator leaving in a helicopter. Uh, maybe, you know, because at the time it was Idi Amin was getting deposed, oh, right. Shah of Iran, yeah. uh, uh, all the uh, Nicaragua, you know, the, the yep. Sandinistas had yeah. kicked up some Mosa. So, so uh, fascism again, right? Or fascism like, uh, or dictatorial. Right. Yeah, dictatorial, dictatorial fascism. Yeah, um, yeah. But, and, and also a little of nonconformist, like don't get caught up in the system. And then crawl your way up just so you can be a supervisor and shit on people that way. Exactly. I mean, there's, right, 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 right. No yeah. man there's born. the big political picture, and then there's the don't get, don't be trod upon. You know, yeah. right? To Maintain, lose your soul. Keep your, keep your, um, always keep your skeptical eye on whatever's going on. Um, and I, I can't help but they're fucking with this musically also because they're it's a kick-ass song and then right in the middle they do this yeah stevie wonder thing oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. exactly yeah yeah you're yeah. right yeah like this uh yeah uh, right soul, it's like soul, um soul exactly yeah. interlude yeah Indeed. which is great it does um and now we get this is so great barry that last week we did the uh, Jimi Hendrix, uh, Axis Bold of Love, and they had the bass player song to come on. Oh, the God, song right. with the, the bass Noel player. Song, and it's yeah. like, but unlike the Noel Redding song on this the last episode. This is one of the episode, best songs of the record. <laughs> here's a song sung by the bass player, Paul Simonon, that he wrote that they encouraged him. I guess I guess he was starting to write it, and Joe encouraged him, yeah, finish it, and you're going to sing it too. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's so fucking great. Let's listen to the Guns of Rick your front door how you gonna come with your hands on your head or on the trigger of your gun you have your gun this song also reminds me of um uh pusher man by um uh curtis mayfield oh yeah it's got it's got that feeling of there's no way out so you know by the what he's saying how you gonna go there's there you there's death on one side and then there's death on the other side, yeah, you can go yeah, this yeah. way, right. or you can go that way. You're just trapped either way. Yeah. There's no, it, it there's is no, a trap. And Brixton, a, and that's probably how it felt for Brixton, him. Yeah, sure. How are you going to yeah. go? Because there's no, there's no, but there's no alternative. You're not going anywhere. Right. It's a minor key, almost dub 
reggae tune, you know, fan, oh, fantastic song. Up, yeah. yeah, it's so and, great. Uh, and he sings it so great. He uh, he took a lot of this. You know, Ivan is from uh, Harder They Come movie, yeah. which they loved. Um, oh, yeah, you know, that's and, right. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he was the guy, like I said, he absolutely loved dub and all of them loved reggae. But this is how, you know, he all kind of grew up. This was his, you know, his basis. So um, I think it was great that they let him do this. And you know, Joe said, um, listen, if, if you want to get money in this business, you, you got to get the credits for the song. Yes. So s- step up and. Right. And then yeah. that's when, yeah. you know, they were all doing it. It's a DIY thing. Do it yourself in the vanilla studio. No one else can do it. But you want to do a song, Paul, bring it in. Yeah, yeah, and I actually read he actually did very well with this because some other uh, some other band took his bass line and they put it in on another song and they actually used his bass line. So they did. It he became a number it. one single. Exactly. So he had a number one for single. Him. He did. Yeah. I was going to try to trick you guys. What was the number one hit off of this? And it's this song. Uh, Fat Boy Slim took it. That's it. And, Fat Boy Slim. Yeah. That's oh, it. And, uh, uh, yeah. That's great. It's, it's called Dub Be Good to Me, and they they just sampled that very beginning nice. part where I they take the Velcro on the seats. That's yeah. What the is. <laughs> oh, it's so great. All right, so guys, look what we did. We got through the the, the first records, right. right? One inside two. And so if that was, take. if that was, if you just put that out, that would still be one of the greatest albums in it rock would. and roll. It would. No, and then right? you got a whole other record. Yeah, but you wouldn't the have. Keep uh, going. Some, oh no! That, some great, oh my god! Yeah, no, it's incredible. All right, stuff. so let's take a little break. We're gonna we're gonna refill our lovely uh, gift that we got from. Uh, so you're drinking the same thing, right? I would hope. I'm drinking Tom. the exact same thing. All right, so let's all refill our. Uh, our glasses, we're talking to the wonderful Tom Lowry. We're talking about The Clash, London Calling. We will be back in a minute. Is This Tomorrow is a comic strip created by Kelly Shane and Woody Compton, begun as a college newspaper feature in 1991, and revived as a webcomic in 2003. The comic is experimental in form, and though it includes recurring characters, the subject matter and style often varies from strip to strip. The name was taken from the anti-communist comic book, Is This Tomorrow, published in 1947 by the Catechetical Guild Educational Society of St. Paul, Minnesota. Available at isthistomorrow.com. That's isthistomorrow.com. Yes, you heard correctly, isthistomorrow.com. Back. We're in the same room. Uh, we are, uh, and and our uh, good friend Tom Lowry is how many miles away? Where's Tampa? Like uh, uh, St. Uh, Pete's five, is five hours by car. 
five yeah. hours by car. Yeah. If you walked, how long would it take to walk, you think? Long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Never make it there. We are yeah. on side three now of uh, London Calling. Let's listen to the wonderful Another Cover. By the Rulers. Yep. Wrong on Boyle. Heaton going to town on this one. Oh, so, yeah, man. So, Tom, oh, this, he's is, kicking ass. this is really like two covers in one, right? Yeah, well, no, almost uh, the, the Ruler's version is just like this. Hey, no, the Ruler's like version starts is... out with this other cover of like this American folk song called... St- Oh right, 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 right. Stagger Lee. That's yeah. right. Stagger. They start. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The whole Stagger Lee thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, um, the Rulers version is very, is very, very rootsy and very um, authentic. And you can see what a when you hear it, you'll see what attracted the Clash to it because it's very um, sort of bare bones right, and right. Uh, 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 very authentic. Uh, you know, reggae tune. Yeah. Um, this one swings with the horns and everything. Yeah, it yeah. swings more. They put yeah. a lot more. Well, actually, and when I heard that, I, I never, frankly, I didn't know until a few years ago that this was a cover. And then um, when I heard the Rulers version, I was like, oh, yeah, I see why they went for Oh, yeah. The Clash sure. loved shit like this. <laughs> they did. Yes, <laughs> they exactly. Um, so now we get one of, to me, this is one of Strummer's absolute best songs. Uh, I, I just love this song so much. I love the lyrics. I love his delivery. Let's listen to a little bit of Death or Glory.
had to get that line in, right? <laughs> Everybody's going to sell out eventually. That's right, the right, message. Right, yeah. No matter I, what, you're going to you're going to you're going to you're going to do it. This might be my favorite song. This might be my favorite. Yeah. Um, I, you know, you, I wax and wane, but right. I just love the message of this, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's like I, every... I love the fact that you yeah, know, old punk versus new punk, and, and it's got some of the best lines, like the, oh. uh, you know, it's been proven. <laughs> How's the line go? Oh, I believe uh, in this. Just and it's been, been tested by, by research. research. He who plucks yeah. nuns will later, <laughs> join, later the church. join the church. So no matter what you do... <laughs> Death or glory becomes, it's just another story. You're just another fucking human right. on this billions of people on this earth. And you think that you're going to, remember that, it's that fucking Chris Farley skit from Saturday Night Live where oh, he said, you're gonna, you, know, you think you're going to take life by the neck and you're going to take it. And you end up living in a van love down by hate, the river. I love the love and hate tattooed across <laughs> the knuckles of his hands, hands that slap his kids around because they don't understand how yeah. death or glory becomes just another Well, you story. know who's got love and hate tattooed on his hands? Ozzy That's Osbourne. From, uh, Fucking Ozzy Osbourne. But it's, from, yeah. but it's from something. What's, of what's course, it from? It's from Tom some dude. film. It's from yes, some. It's yes. from uh, Kate. It's uh, oh, uh, Robert. Uh, uh, Night of the Hunter. Night of the Hunter. Yes, Night of the Hunter. Yeah, Robert Mitchum. Yeah, exactly. Yes. But Robert Ozzy Mitchum. too. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people have love and hate. Probably. On yeah. their fingers. It's, it's convenient. But, um, you know, this is, it kind of reminds me of like, uh, as he was getting older, he's looking back and he's seeing, you know, some of the things like, You've been trying for years, and that's and we're here. Heard your song. That's kind of going back to, you know, if you haven't switched from punk now to something else, yeah, uh, you're kind of you're kind of churning through it, yeah, right. and yes, yes, and, and um, you know, this uh, the other thing this reminds me of is the old punk versus you know the, the young punk. When when I first heard this, I was a young punk, and now I can look back and see. You know, and he's not that old when he does this. He's in his late twenties. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But he, you know, yeah, the, the, kind of an old soul, soul though. Well, I he'd think. been around yeah. the scene too. I mean, he was in a pub rock band. He was in a one hundred and oneers. Exactly. And right. so he wasn't a neophyte when the clash started. Basically, um, so he had he had enough time to collect all these yeah. experiences and uh, make some observations. And uh, yeah, th- this is the song that uh, during the actual recording. Guy Stevens comes in and starts throwing chairs around to get the energy up. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, throwing and they're they're like playing and dodging, like Paul's dodging <laughs> well, chairs. It's a small while thing. They're playing. There's a small little thing that I love in this song that I always gets me. On the last verse, Joe's voice cracks. He goes over every time, yeah, and it's like yeah. most yeah. singers would say, oh, "I'm going to do that again. Let me no, do that again." But uh-uh. it's like, no, fuck it. It's, it's in there. It's yeah. there. Yeah, it's yeah no, it is perfect. And that's what so you know. Great. They didn't do. I mean, uh, Mick and 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 Bill Price did a lot of. T- touching up on certain things but some things they just said good enough that's you know i like the live energy of that Let's yeah move on. so much so what are we drinking tonight ah here we go another short uh, great one that i didn't i don't think i appreciated as much uh back then as i do now we're drinking what Coca- rum and coca-cola jamaican, jamaican rum and coca-cola but it's not about coca-cola is well, it it's, got, it's about that's miami, one of the things our special miami coca-cola yeah <laughs> Elevator going up In the gleaming corridor of the 51st floor The money can be made if you really want some more Executive decision, a clinical precision Jumping from the windows filled with indecision I get good advice from the advertising world Treat me nice, party girl Talk at night, where there isn't any to freeze Man, freeze it's the pause that refreshes in the corridors of power When tough men need a top up long before the happy hour This 
and your alligator poop You don't need a long that you can take you to the vet I get my advice from the advertising world Treat me nice as a party girl Cokehead's life. Where there Where isn't there is any. Enemy. So freeze, man. Freeze. We know people. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Um, we do. Cocaine, though, was, I mean, in my here. But also, it's slightly hypocritical of, of Joe because as of Joe and the band were known to enjoy a... Of course a, they were. A bump. A bump or two or five. Oh, yeah. You know, they well, had, I would, at I'm this gonna, point, they graduated from, you know, the amphetamines that they needed for yes. you yeah. know, the first they had album. They graduated. Yeah. Sure. I mean, and I, I chalk that up, some of that, to what happened to them um, going forward. You know, cocaine fucking destroyed a lot of creative things in the 80s because it was everywhere. It did, yeah, really. It and um, it's amazed uh, Steven Tyler has a nose still at all. The, the other thing, you know, there's two interesting things. I think they're also talking about how Coca-Cola, the, the drink, of course. Yeah, is man. the Americanization of everything. They didn't like seeing that happening of course. in England. And whenever they toured, you know, it's like Coke and McDonald's just co-opting the yeah. culture of other folks. And because, there's a little bit of that in here, too. Because as you right, know, right. Tom, the Clash are not for sale. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but, if, but if you want to pay us half a million dollars, we'll, bucks. Uh, mm, we'll play your stupid festival. Let's, we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> as talk. long as we can bring our Clash are not for sale. Sign. Yeah, we'll put it, up the sign. I, I think they had an existential crisis. At well, that, you know, that actually, was the beginning sure. of the end. There's yeah, a really right? funny story about when they did that, because who was the guy, the other Apple guy, Steve... And what they did when they played, he got so annoyed by that that they 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 put on the screen behind him, they flashed a picture of their check, of their five hundred thousand dollar check behind nice. them while they were playing. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. And so uh, festival how, was sort how of the sort of a, uh, yeah. the band that charged uh, you know, just a, a fiver for this double album. You know, right. they 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 were great to their fans. They let fans, you know, sleep in their rooms, not yeah. like Steven Tyler sleep in your rooms, but <laughs> just, you know, crash there. <laughs> what? But, um, what? what are you Steven saying, Tom? <laughs> I can't even imagine. All right, so let's get this next song. The, <laughs> the entire band is credited on the writing of this one. Uh, and this is a, another one with the lyrics by Strummer, but sung very uh, dramatically by Mick Jones. Let's listen to a little bit of the card sheet.
song. I, I really love this. And song. another another tune with "No Way Out." Yes. Another. Oh yeah, very. Yeah. Someone who thinks they're they're uh, they, they're gonna pull pull the wool over the eyes of life, as it were. And they're coming to a sad end. And I'm gonna say this song is. Um, very much evidence of Mick Jones' love for Martha Hoople. He was a huge Martha yes. Hoople fan. Absolutely. It so you just can like hear Ian Hunter. Ian Hunter you can hear a, Ian yeah. singing this if yes. you want. Oh, totally. 100%. Yeah. He was mixed. It was a huge Ian Hunter fan. Uh, well, it's got a Phil Spector sound to it. Uh, it well, does. The big wall mixed, sound was, going on. It was Mick's idea to actually, they recorded everything twice in this. They yeah, yeah, double tracked sure. everything yeah. to give it that Phil Spector thing. Yeah, yeah the big sure. sound. It's got that wall of sound. And it's got a little bit of a, maybe a Penny Lane trumpet. Oh, in the yeah. oh sure, with the sure. horn, with oh, the sure. horn in the middle. Yes. Dick Hansen. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then but the, the lyrics are just so, I mean, geez, you could spend half an hour on this about a young man, you know, dying for, you know, the king in England. And right. what, what do they get out of that? You know, he's right. not going to cheat life. He's got to go to the uh, Crimean War. Or yeah, the, yeah, that's the right. Hundred, or the Hundred Years, years War. War. It doesn't really matter. Cinematic, yeah, it, it, it's almost Cin- like a, cinematic. Like it's a mo- movie. movie. It's like a little, yeah, there's it's a, like a film. There's a lot of cinema in this record. There's a lot of cinematic stories. And and with the, and what people, when they talk about London Calling in, in critical terms, they talk, it's got a, the sweep of it is, it's got a, a vast, it covers a vast range of musical and uh, uh, um, intellectual ideas right. in a convincing way, so you're right. not like yeah, it's fucking dilla- yeah. dilettante. It's, it's, and it's not like someone just oh throwing shit up against the wall no. with you with sticks. Uh, no, no. Yeah. no, it's amazing. I mean, there's uh, you know, this reminds me. Have you ever seen that movie, The Seventh Seal? Oh yeah, uh, of course. Or, yeah, I use I use a meme of the death from The Seventh Seal all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, this kind of reminds me a little bit, at least the part of it like that. But then. It also has the the stagger leafing like you're talking yeah. about, Barry. Yeah, where yeah, sure. There's no way out. No, nope. you know? no way out. There's no way out. All right, so now we flip it flip it over. We're on side four, the final uh, side of the record, and we get a nice little ditty called "Lovers Rock." of this song has to do with uh, um, pulling out and not <laughs> right <laughs> that's yeah, what because yeah, yeah. um, he's talking about, he's almost and it's got reggae very reggae influenced lyrics the it song does, is the song is not exactly reggae but it's got a reggae feel to it 
Well, and, but they're kind of sent because if you just read the lyrics, you would think, ah, that's a little messed up in a way because a lot of the yeah, reggae, sure. the, the male stereotype is well, kind that, of well, that misogynistic. Is yeah. That's what he's. But they're kind of sending it up here a little bit, yeah. Especially, uh, and you know, there's this whole subgenre called lovers rock. That's a small subgenre of reggae that has a little more soul in it, Philly soul. Mm. And um, there you go. Way back when uh, he was in the 101ers, um, there was a band called Matumbi uh, that helped Joe out. He, he didn't show up one day with his equipment, and this guy, he was opening for him or the other way around, and he loaned him all his equipment. They became friends, and then that band did a Bob Dylan's Man and Me cover, which mm. is on the vanilla tapes, but never made it to this album. Okay. But he did it in this lover's rock style, and that's how they kind of got to, to liking this. But uh, okay. I got to say, it's... Probably my least favorite song on the album. Yeah, maybe me. It's maybe not my, me yeah, too. Me, yeah, maybe me too. Me it's too. not. The, it's 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 you know side four. Yeah, side um. four. <laughs> and then we get. Yeah, I know. Right. And speaking of four, now we get one, which I think uh, also they're doing some uh, sense humor. There's sense of humor is coming. But in there's a also they here. caught some flack for this for self mythologizing. Well, but uh, see, yeah, they are because four basically it's the clash as the four, four horsemen of the, the apocalypse. apocalypse. But right. I think they're tongues in their cheek here. Really, I do. I think, I think, it, right. I think it depends on who they were talking to, whether Probably. the tongue was in the cheek or not, <laughs> hey, right? listen to a little bit of Four Horse. Yeah, baby. Well, they were giving the great to go Riding a song To loosen the screws At the back of the tongue You don't know what But they had begun For Austin They were giving all the foods Of vanity And all the used to promise The Four Horsemen. Yeah, they were for a little while, right? You know, <laughs> for a while they could claim yeah. they could claim it for a, about a year and a half, maybe. Right. But they were big. Yeah, the the whole self. Uh, um, when they started believing it, it's the problem. It's always the problem when you when you start to believe your own yeah, press, right, exactly. and that's a you know it's a difficult yeah. that's a problem when you when they maybe start believe they were the only band that mattered. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Because they didn't come up with that. CBS came up with that. Yeah. But, but once know. they start, you're right. And- you're right. Once you and start they get believing called, it, you know, you know they we, get called geniuses. They get called, and they get all these accolades and all this attention. Everybody right. wants to see them, and everybody wants to be around them. They meet Warhol. They meet, you know, all yes, these yeah. people. But uh, but I, remember, uh, you know, the the critics, at least the British critics, didn't like give them enough rope that much, and they were kind of they weren't exactly the darlings of the press at this time. Sure. I'm going right. to say I don't think they gave a shit about the English press by this point. Right. They were focused right. on America. Right. And, yeah. and um, because they recorded all of Sandinista it is recorded in America, right? I believe so. Most of it, yeah. 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 Some of it's in Jamaica, but most of it is, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, and uh, the funny story about this. So somewhere in the middle of this, like around August of 79, they get this request to go do a a one night one day stand in Finland, right? And so there's this line in here about finish it. And what they do is 
So Bo Diddley, when he's touring, he's like, always get your money up front, you know, because he oh, always got yeah. ripped off. So <laughs> they go to Finland with no instruments, nothing. They fly in the middle of recording this. They fly to Finland. And guess, you know, guess whose instruments they use for this one night show in Finland? Bo, Bo ABBA. Diddley. Oh, it's ABBA. ABBA. I was going to oh say ABBA God. because who else is from Finland? Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So they use ABBAs. They get shit-faced drunk. Uh, Mick gets in this, almost gets in this fight with this guy the size of the mountain, you know, from Game of Thrones. It's like a strangler's gig. It's it. like a strangler's yeah. gig. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they get the hell out um, before, you know, and they come back with hangovers the next day. But it was a one-night wow. gig in Finland. That's amazing. That's great. Mm. Very um, good. All right, so now we get another, this is, this is one of my favorite uh, Mick Jones songs, and it's clearly autobiographical, which he would do a lot. Um, mm-hmm. uh, let's listen to, I love this song. I'm not that. Disco beat makes an makes an appearance yep, in there uh, again. Yeah, yeah. Is. You know they. Um, um, I never thought about that, but it, it is in there big time. It is. And um, they were just incorporating that right into the sound, just like reggae, rockabilly, R and B, whatever they felt like. I, this is so not a punk song. No, <laughs> it's not. It's not. I love the lyrics in it though. If it's it true, is great. Yeah, if, it, if it's true, a rich man leads a sad life. That's what they say from day to day. Then what do all the poor do with their lives on Judgment Day, day with nothing, nothing to say? Um, I'm going to say this. You know, guys, something I realized in, in revisiting this record and everything, you know, with the Beatles, people are Lennon or they're McCartney. They're more Lennon, more McCartney. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I used to always think I'm a Joe Strummer guy. Yeah. I think I'm a... I'm Mick a Jones Mick guy. Jones guy. Well, they're distinctly there's they're, di- distinctly, they, they're distinctly different. Here's what it is: Joe Strummer wrote outward his yes. songs, commenting on society Absolutely. and the world in a macro sense. Mick Jones was inward. Yep, usually about in, in, that more personal micro. Yep, for right? sure. Right. Yeah, and, totally. And so maybe I appreciated him more now. Yeah. than I did then. Sure. But yeah, I, oh, I, I, I totally agree with you, uh, Rob. This, this is. Um, probably my, you know, one of the songs that's grown on me the most out of the whole album. Like, I kind of liked it. The more I listen to it, the more I like it now. I, yeah. It's just a great song. And, and you're right. Without, you know, Mick and Joe together were, you know, along with the rest of the band, of course. But those two, as far as songwriting, were great together. And you pull one of them off and you got to wait all the way to the Mescaleros, in my opinion, before... You know, there's something almost as good, yeah. right? And it's true. And that and that was yeah. uh, that was about the time that Joe got more humble and realized, oh, oh you know, I, yeah. I fucked up by doing that, and I got to play yeah. more with people. And uh, yeah. yeah, 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 definitely. Anyone who hasn't seen that Joe Strummer documentary, I would encourage you. We've watched it a couple of times. It is 
Amazing. I, if I can remember. It is. What's it, I was just going to say, what's the name, what's of, the name of it, Tom? <laughs> Help me out. Well, there's West, West Way to the World, and then there's uh, another one where they're sitting around the campfire. The Kibat uh, one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, damn it. All right. I have one question to you guys about the song, uh, about a, a line in there that I was thinking maybe a slight dig at, at Joe, who grew up more privileged than me. Yeah, sure. When he says, so you rock around and think that you're the <laughs> toughest in the world, the whole wide world, but you're streets away from where it gets the roughest. You ain't been there. Maybe. Right? Certainly possible. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm Certainly possible. I mean, uh, uh, well, I think they, did. I mean, they had a, you know, they had the kind of sort of uh, one-upsmanship relationship that made what made the clash great was I'm sure they're trying to outdo each other. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, oh. but still they, it was so great when they would work together. Like Joe, like Joe would write these lyrics and say, Oh no, Mick, you should sing yep. this and that. Yep. It's like, and oh, it's yeah. like, that's sure, like, sure. It was so beautiful. All right. So now we get the cover, the final cover on the record, uh, a, uh, originally performed by Danny Ray and the revolutionaries, I guess revolution rock. Great sort of straight reading of a tune where it's um you know, but it's just Joe's voice. You know, the his conviction and his the way he sounds just lends this amazing quality to it that uh um you know it's a, it's a beautiful tune and it is it makes it authentic like a hundred percent right yeah when he does yeah it. you know even though they're covering a, a reggae song whatever it, it's so authentic. Uh, mm-hmm. again the great horns you know the, the Irish yes, horns totally yeah yep uh, those guys you know they were the stiff records uh, house horns but they also played like for Rory Gallagher and Lizzie. Um, they did Katrina and the Waves, you know, that one song. Sure. Like Katrina oh, yeah, that's sure. them also. Those are the guys. Ones? On, oh, nice. The horns there, but. It's a small island, you know? It's just not that big yeah. a place, right? <laughs> All right, so we think that's the last song on the record, right? It's the last song that listed. the last listed song, but what but do you know? The song that brought, that maybe could have changed your whole musical uh, trajectory, yeah, Tom, yeah. right? It did. It did. It did. It was the hidden track, uh, and it was also ended up being the, their first U.S. Top 40 hit. Yep. Train and Bane.
this is not, to be clear, this is not punk rock at all. No. <laughs> not at all. It the, starts off like a disco. It's, it's like, like a, it's disco like, and soul. Yeah, it's like play that funky music, white boy. Oh. Like the opening riff has got that, is it bump, bump, bop, bump, bop, bump, bump, bop. But it's also mixed in a weird way, which is odd because the rest of the album is way more that there's two mix and one's in your left ear and oh, one's okay. in your right well, ear. Well, yeah. What's the history of this song? Like, how did this end up to be tacked on? So it was supposed to be a flexi disc. So they, they were dealing with uh, New Music Express and they were going to make it a free flexi disc and one of the issues of the magazine. And something went wrong with it was going to cost too much to make it or something like that. So, um, you know, Mick says, okay, well, let's put it on the album. And uh, the it was album too late. Had, it already been. It yeah. was too late. So they'd already gone to press uh, to to make the album, and they're like, so they, they wrote it on the uh, the runout part of the album. So if you got one of those, you got an original. I don't think they put it on the remakes or the future the the recent yeah, pressings. Right, of them. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so they added in the last minute. It's not on anything, and uh, it's about you know Mick going to try to to try to catch the train over to Viv Albertine's place or flat. Uh, uh, and she's not the, the it, of yeah, the slits. The, yeah. Yes. Yeah, and they were on again, off again, and he's like, you know, this is a waste of my time. I'm coming over here, and it was half the time. You, you know, they were on again, off again. Right. I don't. Yeah, he probably wrote it on the train. Right. Uh, but it's such a good. I, it is you a know, beautiful This tune. is a song. I think if you don't like this song, then. Uh, you What's don't wrong like music. with you? You right. don't like music. It's got that. I guess it's, it sounds like a, a, a melodica playing the playing the chords. Yeah. And. Uh, Really cool song, yeah. And this one was one I played over and over a lot as a, as a teenager, uh, just because it's so melodic and it's so cool. It's so obviously a hit single. Um, I know. Yes, and I never yes. get tired of it. No, yeah. and, exactly. And right, right. You never get tired. I of did it. want to talk about the cover of the album too. We hadn't talked oh, yeah. about it at all. Oh, that's right. One of the great rock and roll covers. Yep, exactly. So, first of all, what band puts their bass player on the cover of a record? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> well, I'm not going they, there, Rob. They picked the well. They picked the right photo. They looked and they were like, "How about that one?" And then the photographer I read, she didn't because she didn't like it because she said, "Oh, it's kind of out of focus and it's not good." Yeah. And and so, then how about that one? Go ahead, Tom. What's uh, what's the? Oh no, you're right. You're absolutely right. So you know, uh, what happened is uh, Paul Paul's pissed because um, he's in New York and the fans are getting up and dancing. Yeah. So. Um, he just gets, you know, at, oh, he's frustrated. Oh, they were in a place where people had to sit. You know, some places they, like, make yeah. people sit down. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Won't I think it was in Palladium in New York. Yep. And he, he just got kind of pissed at the end of it. And so he's coming at Penny, Penny Smith, the photographer who was, you know, their buddy and on all their tours. And she's trying to back up. She's trying to back up. And that's why it's all out of focus. And that's what makes it so cool. But the lettering is... Elvis Pre- from the Elvis, Elvis Presley's, Presley's album, uh, yeah, first album, album. Yes. yes, and it right. says and instead of saying Elvis Presley, it says London Calling, and that's Elvis Presley. And when he's on that cover, his picture from that album is taken in Tampa. That's is when it he was really? To- oh, it wow, is. nice. The Tampa Armory. What do you know? And one lo- one more little punk rock factoid I found: the the Damned were recording overdubs for Machine Gun Etiquette. Uh, oh, in the yeah. studio when they were doing this, so they wrote uh, str- um, uh, Strummer Joe and uh, Mick into record backing vocals on uh, Machine Gun Etiquette. So when they're on, oh, wow. on Machine Gun Etiquette, when you hear uh, second time the shouting second time around, yeah. that's uh, Joe Strummer and Mick Jones on there, <laughs> not credited wow. at all I, on the I, record or anything. Yep. All right. I do know that Guy Stevens at one point was like uh, he went over and listened to their uh, their um, recording. 
and he asked, I think the guy's name is Roger Armstrong, if that rings a bell. Um, how do you get you guys to swing, you know, like that? How do I get my guys oh, to swing right, like right. you're swinging? Nope. <laughs> and, and Joe overheard that, and he puts that in London, the song London Call. Wow, we ain't got no oh, swing, got that except swing. for the ring of that truncheon thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. awesome. That's great. That's great, Tom. Oh, Tom, thank you. As usual, you knock it out of the park. You bring a... Greatest album in rock history. You bring a great album, but you also bring the knowledge and you bring the love to it. And what, what, I love this what, album. What can we say? I, uh, what will to my dying say? day. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. This uh, one's, uh, you know, it's, you. Un- it's unassailable. Uh, there, to a certain generation of people, I'm sure, this is the one. Um, it's our, just our generation for sure. Our, yeah, what are we? What are we? We're not baby boomers, and we're not. Well, I am. I'm a baby boomer. Yeah, I'm a you're older than you're, you. Yeah. I'm just on the bottom end of a baby. You don't boomer. act I'll like. Take it, yeah. That's what you can call me a boomer. <laughs> that's fine. Um, all right. So next week we we were going to have Tim Henley doing Galaxy 500, but our but our other patron. What's Steve doing? What record the, is he the doing debut for his birthday? album by Roxy Music? There you go. So that's going to be. I awesome. was just wondering today. I was looking at Roxy Music, uh, an album here, and I was wondering when you're going to do Somebody's one. Somebody's going to win. Awesome. Right? Steve Mitchner's picked it. When I was coming, Barry, when I was coming to and I, Lisa said, what are you doing? Uh, and I said, The Clash, Linda Cole. And she said, you haven't done that record already? Yeah, I know, right? There's <laughs> which, a lot of records which out shows, there. Which proves you that my wife does not listen to the podcast yeah, or pay attention I think to that, it at all. You know. um, all right, so don't forget, you could reach us uh, on Instagram and uh, Twitter at, at That Record Got Me High on uh, Facebook.com, That Record Got Me High, and also That Facebook, Facebook group, group Got, got me, me High. high. And if you want to become a cool patron like Tom Lowry, what do they do, Barry? Go to patreon.com forward slash TRGMH. And for as little as a dollar a month, you can be a patron of yes. that record. We really appreciate high. it. We appreciate all our patrons, not just Tom Lowry. Our we do. Uh, all right. Don't forget, subscribe, rate us, review us, and what? Share. Share us. And, share it. If you love, love it, share it. If you hate yeah. it, share it. We don't care. Tom, thanks again for coming on. Always oh, great talking Tom. to you guys. Yep. Have Take a great time. Fantastic. All right. We'll see you guys next week where that record got me high. We're out. You're so chic, do you ever love me? Ladies of the mountain streamline Midnight through casino floors That's the cha-cha fruit at sunrise Opens up exclusive doors for out Just like the windows look the same So me and you, just me too Got to search for something new